Hey, would you open your Bibles to the book of James, chapter 1? It is on page 1065. Tell you what, if somebody could figure out a synchronized pagination for biblical scriptures, you win the world. Like, if you could just say that. Um, James, chapter 1. While you're turning there, I want to read a message to you this morning, fresh from uh, Togo, Africa. If you don't know where Togo is, you are not alone. It is West Africa, and we, uh, we planted a church there five years ago. Um, if you were here last year, you might remember a miracle offering. We've had a few of those. That sounds like a televangelist thing, doesn't it? <laughs> we'll send you some miracle spring water for the miracle offering. But in, in the meantime, this was, a, I mean, I say it was a miracle. It straight up was a miracle. We had Pastor William here from, from Africa. It was his first time ever here in America, and you know, we, he, he said what he really needed was a truck because it's an ambulance. It's a, you know, get supplies. I mean, our church, it is literally two hours into the middle of nowhere. Uh, and this is, so this message came this morning from, uh, from Togo, Africa. Conduit family, I know I don't see you much. This is from David Whetstone. But my heart is with you there as you are serving God. I'm currently in Africa where God is doing so much. Revival has been taking place here over the, uh, for the two years, for over two years. And the Conduit Church of Bench Hall has grown to over 600 followers of Jesus. It's great when every church we plant is around the world is bigger than ours. And I'm, <laughs> like, I'm uniquely okay with it. Like, it's like, this is awesome. But think about this. We, you know, in America, the story is God does big things through big churches. But in the scriptures, the story is often God does big things through little groups. And I feel like we're one of those. Um... We are also enjoying the truck so much that you bought, which has lengthened the days of my life. This is from Whetstone. As a Blanc will nearly kill you negotiating for taxi rides here. If you've been overseas, you know that that's the main way you get around is you're paying little taxis and they see that you're uh, from America. They want to like quadruple the price. And so he's saying this is saving my negotiating, uh, my uh, mental state. Um, as many of you know what I'm talking about. Pastor William wants me to greet you and tell you that his motorbike, oh yeah, by the way, so he needed a truck and we went ahead and got a motorcycle as well for him, so uh, above what he could have thought or asked. Uh, Pastor William wants to greet me, uh, to greet you, tell you that the motorbike is a year old now and he says because it is Yamaha versus a Chinese bike, that's a political statement, I'm not making it, um, <laughs> that it's still like brand new. <laughs> Thank you all from the bottom of my heart for everything we are doing together. So that's what our $20,000 went for that uh, truck that is to this day still paying dividends in the kingdom. And that's what we did, not me. So time to go back. Mitch is here with us this morning. Mitch actually spent a summer over there. Uh, and I, when I say it's the middle of nowhere, like I am not exaggerating. Like when Jesus said, go to the ends of the earth, like they found it. Like that's where it is. Verse uh, 19, no, 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 verse 18 of James chapter 1. Have you found it yet? I would encourage you to uh, actually read along with me. Uh, and kids, that's a good way to pretend like you're reading. You could still get your Pokemons. <laughs> verse 18. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of firstfruits of all he created. My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all the moral filth and evil that is so prevalent 
and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Verse 22, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Verse 25, but the man who looks intently into the perfect law gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. If anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a, a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. Religion that our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Would you pray with me? Father, uh, I just ask for in the few minutes that we have this morning that you would, your word would become alive to us. That it would not be an academic exercise as it so often is for me, but it would be a spiritual moment for us. That this Holy Spirit document would be communicated to us in a way that actually uh, makes sense and, and, and changes us from the inside and to the outside. In your name we pray. Amen. I feel like that they called it the book of James. How many of you got anybody in here named James? Okay. When were you called James when you were a kid? When your mom was mad at you? James, your husband, or when you're trying to be serious. It wasn't Jim or Jimmy because this is a serious book. This is like toe-stepping on. I should have actually brought my boots with me this morning. Like I'm reading this, and initially I'm reading it with my mind and saying, oh, this is pretty hard stuff. But in between lifting heavy stuff and mowing stuff and loading tractors, thank you, Art, for removing my tractor last night, I really began to see grace even in the book of James. And I was super grateful for that because what I think James, if you were to like sum up this book, he answers the question, asks the question, and answers it, what would my life look like? What would your life look like if you're a follower of Jesus? Like, how does your life look different than, say, the, world, the lives of those who don't believe or don't follow Jesus? How would it look different, right? So to me, that's when I'm looking at that. I'm like, okay, I'm look, if I'm going to say this, then one of the things that he says is my life is going to be different is that I'm going to be under the word of truth, the word of God, the perfect law. He uses all these phrases for it. And my life will look different under that. Are you with me on this? Does this make sense? So if it's under that, then my reaction and my response to that is I think there's three things. You probably could find a hundred. That's awesome. And by the way, if you ever listen to me talk and you feel like the Lord's saying something to you, feel free to just check out and write what the Lord is saying so you don't forget it. Just so you know, I'm, I'm okay with that. But what I saw this week is that when I've encountered the scriptures myself, when I've, this Bible, which is falling apart after 20-some years, when I've looked into this for what it was, it's humbled me, it's molded me, not mold like in the walls, but mold like, like a, you know what I mean, like clay. It has shaped me, and it's liberated me. It's freed me. And I can actually see that in what James is saying here. When he says in verse 18 that he chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of firstfruits of all that he created. Now, firstfruits meant something different there than in our culture. How many of you guys uh, have a garden? Go on, be, be, be brave, be bold. Okay. How many of you guys, when you get the first tomato of the year, 
or your first green beans. This happened your first year you have a garden. You took a picture of it and put it on the Instagram. <laughs> Shoot me straight. I did it, okay? Now, my father, who does not have the internet, he had a cell phone for like two weeks until he realized that people could call him, and then he's like, oh, no, no. <laughs> I have had enough of that. <laughs> um, <laughs> he's had a garden like our whole life. And that meant me out back, like, working my butt off. Did anybody have to work in your dad's garden growing up, right, or your mom's garden? The idea of taking a picture of it and putting it on the internet would be baffling to him. <laughs> What's the point? But the, the point that I'm trying to make is that the first fruits of our gardens are a little different than what the first fruits he was talking about. Not that it's different that it's first, but different in the response to it. Because not, right after you took the Instagram, what did you do? You tried to make a salad. Or something. You fried it or you did something with it. But if you think about it, in the early stages of the new summer garden, it's like one tomato at first, right? You know what I'm saying? It's one tomato this week, and then after, by the end of the summer, by the midsummer, it's tomatoes everywhere. So many tomatoes, you're giving them away to the neighbors. You can't, they're rotting in the bucket. But not at the beginning. Not the first fruits. Because in the, in the days of uh, James, the Jewish people that he was writing to, when they got their first fruits, they were taking a huge step of faith that there was going to be more to follow. But the first fruits they gave to God, they didn't Instagram them. They didn't eat them. They gave them to God. And what he is saying to you and to I here is that you and I are like a first fruit. In other words, I'm not my own anymore. As a first fruit, what humbles me is I'm not my own anymore. I belong to God. And James is going to talk a lot about humility in these verses to come, these next few chapters. And if you've got your Bible, I can't reach mine. They told me I ran around too much last week, so I'm trying to be calmer this week. <laughs> we had a guy visiting. He was like, do you always move around that much? I mean, I can see how that would work out because you keep them guessing, but... <laughs> it was Thanksgiving 1989 when my dad said, do you know what your problem is, son? You're too darn jumpy. I'm being presented as a first fruit, and not only am I as a first fruit to him, but what is going to humble me now, as he says, if you go down to verse 25, he says, but whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they'll be blessed by what they do. As a first fruit, I'm looking into this mirror. Do you guys have mirrors in your house, like a lot of mirrors, or is that just us? I realized it even more because we're moving and so we're packing all these up and taping them and we have a lot of mirrors which is because I guess it's cheap decoration is what my wife says. Um, and maybe you kids don't understand this but I have walked by a mirror in our house especially when it's just dark enough and catch a glimpse of myself and startled myself. <laughs> Do you know what I'm... No? Because I don't look like what I thought I looked like anymore. Like, that is like a washed-up Alec Baldwin after rehab guy looking back at me in the mirror. Or one of the less successful Baldwin brothers, you know, like Jimmy Baldwin. But I forgot what I look like. And what he's saying here is that if I'm looking into this, this mirror, that I'm going to see myself. But I believe it's the exact opposite of what me looking at startling myself in the middle of the night 
Because what does the Bible tell us who we are now? What do I look like? 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. You're brand spanking new. Ephesians 4.24, to put on the new self, uh, created to be like God in his true righteousness and in holiness. You see, that's what you, as a follower of Christ, look like. But I walk away from that, and I'm maybe looking in the wrong mirror. You know the mirrors I'm talking about at the mall where it looked better? Remember that episode of Seinfeld where the, it looked better in the mirror in the store than when she got it home? The skinny mirrors, everybody loves a skinny mirror. We need more of those. Mine are not skinny mirrors at all. But the, the, the mirror that he's talking about, we look better in, not worse in. And he says that if we're looking into this word properly, that it's going to be like a mirror that we're going to see ourselves in it and not in a shameful and a guilt way, but into a way that reminds me of who I am as a new creation, as a new creature. Not the way I used to look, not the way I used to, but I'm a new creation. And he said this word that I think is worth taking a detour for because he uses the phrase, the perfect law. which is different because he talks about the word planted in you, he talks the word of truth, but this one he says the perfect law. And we know that not all parts of the Bible are the law. I mean, some of them are, the Ten Commandments, that's the law. There's Levitical law. But Psalms is not law, it's poetry. There's historical narrative. You know what I'm saying? So it's not all law, but he says the perfect law. When you look into this, Jesus would actually refer to it as He's actually quoting from Psalms, but referred to it as the law. And, and I'm getting, what I'm driving at is it's not, I'm, I don't think he's talking about the Ten Commandments. I think he's talking about the Bible as a whole. In fact, Psalms itself would say, in uh, Psalm 1, uh, verse 2, that whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night, talking about those that are doing that are blessed, talking about the law of God. What I think he's talking about, what I think he's referring to, which is helpful for us, is that the Bible as a whole, that this 66 books written by 40 authors over thousands of years for communication from outside our time domain, what he's talking about is that this is normative, not abnormal, but normal. I tried to say this in the first service, and hopefully I say it better now, that what I think what he's saying, even in Psalms, that a man delights in the Lord, that he's, uh, his way is going to be blessed. Here's what I think he's saying, that if I truly am delighting in the law of the Lord, if I'm truly delighting in his word, this perfect law, what I'm really saying is this, that a man whose mar- heart or a woman whose heart is marked by that is someone who loves to have God tell him how to live. It's as simple as that, that if, as I'm growing in my faith with him, that I love for him to tell me how to live. I mean, that didn't always happen for me. When I was 20, I did not like for him to tell me how to live. I had lots of great ideas. Isn't that parenting, by the way, when your kids are little? Your kids have all kinds of ideas, and a parent, our job is to help them decide which are the good ideas and which are the bad ideas. Jumping off of this, bad. Jumping off of this, you could survive that. Well, you're going to learn the hard way then. Me learning from the Lord is just saying, I'm looking to the scriptures and saying, I begin to learn to love for him to say, hey, this is the way to live. It's faith, because I trust that he's gonna tell me things in ways that are good for me, not bad. That he has my best intentions in mind, not my, not my harm. And, and I guess I'm saying that because 
I think I was, I was in a, tr- uh, tr- a van yesterday with some of my friends from Place of Hope. We're actively involved. I know we have a global presence, but we've got an active local presence as well. And one of them is with Place of Hope in Columbia, Tennessee. And it is an uh, inpatient drug and alcohol rehabilitation, Christ-centered if you have any struggles in that area at all, please see me afterwards. This is free. It's a great uh, ministry. But we had a, a van from uh, some guys from Place of Hope whose lives have been racked with addiction. And, and there was a guy in the front seat. I won't say his name because I didn't ask him, but he's 51 years old. This is his third, uh, third lap through rehab. And he was talking about how uh, if he can't beat this alcoholism, he's not going to go to heaven. And this, he's a good redneck. He's my kind of people. He's like, well, I know what the Bible says. The Bible says a drunkard can't enter the kingdom of God. So if I don't get this beat and licked, then I'm going to hell. And there's five people behind him going, really? Is that true? Is that all druggies, you know, alcoholics? We're, we were in the van that they've, this is probably inappropriate, but they, they laugh about it. But Marty Stewart, who was uh, on the board of directors with us there, nicknamed this van the druggy buggy. Because um, we... Cause, and they think it's funny too, but we, in the druggy buggy, we're coming back and they're like, wow, but it was, a, for me, it was a great opportunity to open the scriptures to them and show them, oh, no, 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 that's not what it says at all. You're stuck in Romans 7. Have you seen chapter 8, verse 1? There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Have you seen the new creation? Have you seen? And no, they hadn't. And I'm bringing that up because a lot of times, when people are rejecting the word, they're rejecting the Bible, they're offended by the Bible. They're offended by something that it didn't actually say. Uh, my, uh, <laughs> I, have, I have friends from all walks of life. You've been in the music business as long as I was, and you got some friends in lots of places, and weird ones and normal ones and halfway in between ones. But some of my friends, they'll get offended by the Bible and say, well, it teaches polygamy, doesn't it? Have you heard that before? Have you thought that? Didn't Abraham have more than one wife? What about Abraham? And doesn't that teach polygamy? So they're offended by the Bible, but they're offended by something that I don't believe that it actually said. Because for Abraham, he was also a liar, a cheater, an adulterer. Is the Bible saying that you should be a liar, a cheater, a cheater and an adulterer? No. It's just saying that's what happened. And ask himself the question, did it work out that well? In the words of Rich Mullins, it's one thing to win them, it's another to keep them content. Rich Mullins fans, nobody? Sorry. <laughs> God knew that one woman is all any of us could handle, so we needed to keep it to one. For this reason, a man, I'm sorry. <laughs> For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother. <laughs> this is what I'm saying. What I'm saying, there are things in the Bible that I'm offended by that it didn't really say, so it's not really fair to be offended by that. Now, on the other hand, there are some things that the Bible says that are, I don't like at all, and it did say it, and he did mean it. And, and think with me now why I or why you might be offended at some of the things. Put yourself into the mindset of a person who lived in a culture who was family-centric, you know, lots of children were working agriculturally, a husband and a wife working side by side. It's a perfect team. By the way, marriage, I think, is one of the best uh, tools to bring families out of poverty in the world. 
In these agricultural, agrarian communities, a husband and a wife side by side is the perfect team, masculine, feminine, coming together to raise children. And those children working in the fields right now in Togo, Africa, there are going to be some kids bent over working, pulling weeds and corn. And sounds like a kid from Nebraska, don't it? If you hear that and you're in that culture and you hear uh, what God has to say about sex and sexuality and that it's one man and one woman and coming together, they're not offended by that at all because it makes sense to them in their culture. But you put yourself into a culture where it's uh, like right now in Sudan, South Sudan, brothers and sisters in the Lord are being murdered again. In uh, Northern Iraq, brothers and sisters in Christ are being murdered. And you say to them, forgive your enemies, that's offensive to them. That's a hard one to swallow in that culture. So in our culture, which is this individual, I can do whatever I want to do, I can say love your neighbor as yourself, that's not offensive at all to us, is it? It makes sense. But I say that God has some restrictions about this, about sexuality, that's offensive because I want to do whatever I want to do, I'm made this way, I want to be the way I want to be. It's offensive to me in this culture. Like, what are you getting at, Darren? If your Bible that you're reading agrees with you on everything that you've ever thought, every idea you've ever had, if the God that you serve agrees with everything you want to do, is it really the God of the Bible, or is it a God that you have created in your own minds? The point being that if this is truly written by the Holy Spirit, and not by a man, truly written, then at some point in history, it's going to offend every culture in some area or another. Of course it's going to. And my job, my goal, my responsibility is to look at this and say, what does it say? Instead of me paging through the Bible going, well, I don't like that very much. That's good. I like that one. Love your neighbor. You're going to be blessed and prosperous. Circle that. Start it. But boy, this whole, all who are in godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. I don't like that at all. If I'm paging through the Bible saying what I like and don't like, it's the exact opposite. The Bible ought to be paging through my life saying, this is good, this, you need to work on this. Does this make sense? You don't have to agree with it. I was supposed to make sense. This supernatural communication from God not only is going to humble me and put me in my position as to knowing who I am, which is the first fruits that I'm a new creation in Christ and I'm going to be humbled by it, but I'm also going to be molded by it. I'm going to be shaped by it, by what it says. And he says here in verse 27 that religion that our God and our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. I'm not going to, I'm not going to camp on that very long because... Uh, commentators have noted accurately that the entire book of James, the rest of it is basically, this is the synopsis of the rest of the book. So we're going to cover this in depth over the next few weeks, months, years, however long it takes. But he says these two things that are worth noting. He talks about orphans and widows. I think James was channeling the prophets. James was a good Jewish boy. 45 references in the book of James that are direct from the Old Testament. 
And what does the Old Testament say over and over and over again? It talks about our concern for the poor, for the vulnerable, for the marginalized, for the oppressed, for the immigrant. There is a reason why Conduit has given our lives, our money, and our resources to helping those. This week, Amy sent another wire for whatever, $18,000 to build a church and to drill a well. And There's a reason we're doing that. Because it's what God says that this, as your life is being molded by the word of God, that is the, the shape that he's making. Whatever you're going to look like, what it's going to look like is the potter with his hands on the wheel. You're going to look like somebody who is caring for the poor and the marginalized and the oppressed and the vulnerable in our own community and the world around it. What Jeremy and Amber did for that young man and woman was very normal for a, for a, a spirit-filled believer. It's a very normal thing to have done. And he goes on to say, and not to be polluted by the world. And again, I think that what James is doing is channeling the Old Testament and saying that these are normative ways. Whatever you believe about God, what you can believe about God is that he, is, he cares about the poor, he cares about the vulnerable, and he cares about your life and your purity, not because he's angry at you, but because he knows that there's consequences when we, when we do this stuff to put away moral and filth. It's not because he's a giant buzzkill and he's looking for you to not have fun. He's saying, that's actually not the way you're made and when you do it this way, you're gonna, there are consequences to that. If I might be so bold, in our country, in Western culture, there seems to be two, you're gonna be like, well, duh, <laughs> I knew this. There's a right and there's, there's a right and there's a left. 45, you'd think I'd have that one down. <laughs> so I'm doing a couple extra laps. Uh, more liberal, progressive-leaning churches are very much about social justice, about the poor and about the vulnerable. And I'm, I'm, what I'm about to say is a very broad and a very sweeping statement, and you can say, well, not this church and not that. I get it. But think with me on a, on a broad 32,000-foot uh, view. On the left, you see progressive liberal that are uh, very much about the poor and the vulnerable and the oppressed, but are very much welcoming to the idea that, no, but you can live however you want to as long as you're taking care of the poor. On the other side, there are those that are in the family values, and we want this right and this is wrong, and we're going to be living pure lives, and we'll let someone else figure out the poor. That's what the Catholics are for. We'll let them take care of them. And I would say to you that I don't think that either one of those extremes are right because the Bible knows nothing of that. It, they are inseparable. They are not mutually exclusive ideas. In fact, in Ezekiel chapter 16, you don't have to turn there, verse 49, listen to what the prophet said about Sodom and Gomorrah. And you think about Sodom and Gomorrah, what do we think? Oh, they were, they were doing the sex sin, and so they had, God had to destroy them. Listen to why God destroyed that, that nation. This was the sin of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters were arrogant, verse 49, overfed and unconcerned. They did not help the poor and the needy. And they were haughty and detestable and did detestable things before me. Therefore, I did away with them, as you have seen. By the way, overfed, unconcerned with the poor, does that remind you of any, any country right now? We need to be praying for our nation, but for reasons that maybe uh, radio isn't telling us. 
The Bible knows nothing. Western ideology, we separate them. The Bible says you can't separate them. They're both important in our lives. I, I believe that secular ideology can't get their mind wrapped. It can't, it won't, but the Bible says both are important to us. It says they were prideful and they did detestable things. I'll put it one more way and then we're gonna land this thing. Satan's original sin was what? He, he was pride. He, he told Adam and he tempted Adam and to eat from the knowledge, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Which is what Adam was really doing at that point, which is what Satan had done himself as an angel, was to say that I want to be equal with God. Equality, not with each other, but equality with God. Because the tree of the knowledge of good and evil says, I'm going to decide what is right and wrong. I'm smart enough, I'll figure it out. And what I'm driving at is that pride and equality in our own hearts gets us in trouble because it's me saying, I want to live the way that I want to live. I'm smarter than God. I want to be equal with him and raise myself up. And what the Bible says when I look into it is it's going to mirror me back and it's going to humble me to know that the guy that created me, the God of all the universe that could sneeze stars, created you and cares enough about you. It humbles me. And it molds me in a way that literally as a church, as a group, that we're not going to be, let me be careful how I say this, that what we are going to be is concerned about the poor and the vulnerable and the oppressed. We're not going to take our cues from social networks or from news networks. We're not going to look into that mirror and see who we are. But let's look into this mirror and see a God that is loving and kind and generous and it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. And it's his kindness that would cause us as a church to say, we could have a really nice building if we wanted to. But let's instead buy a building for a little church in Africa. Let's instead, we got, I mean, how many of you guys this morning, you probably had a toilet, you hit a button and it magically went away because there was water there. But in a village in Africa, they don't have it. Of course, that's what a church like us would do. That's what he says, that your religion, if you are being marked by this word, that you're going to be concerned about your personal Behavior as well as those who can't care for themselves. I hope this makes sense. I didn't want to get too deep. But I'm going to say uh, in the few minutes that we have, I'm going to give you four things. And I'm going to tell you right now, I stole these from Tim Keller. So you can write him a thank you note. And I say that because in truth, this, I've, I've uh, heard this and read this a long time ago, and it really shaped the way that I approach the word, and I pray that it'll maybe affect you, maybe just one of you, maybe more, the way that it's affected me and the way that I approach the word, that when you look into the mirror, that it's humbling you and it's molding you, and the way that it molds and the way that it shapes you is this. Number one is rational, okay? If you're a note taker, write this down. You can go back later. When I'm approaching this, I'm looking at it intently. What does he say in there? Look at this word intently, that word intently was the word that it used for Peter when he was looking into the tomb after Jesus had resurrected. He's looking into that empty hole going, wait a minute, where is Jesus? He's thinking about the implications of it. He's thinking about how his life could be different. What's going on? And my question for you and for me is, am I reading, am I looking to the scriptures in the way that Peter was looking into the tomb? My whole world got turned upside down, Peter might say. I'm looking at this going, wow, this turns my whole world upside down. I lived for most of my life without any concern at all. I didn't even know anybody who knew anybody who was helping widows and orphans. But when I finally saw that and it became alive in me and rationally approached it, it changed everything. The implications of this are, wait a minute, how did I miss that all these years? I was looking at it intently. 
But it isn't just intently and rationally, but number two, personally. Have you guys ever done this theology, the one, man, I'm having a bad day, you open and point? And look, we can make fun of that all day long, but that's worked for me. That's happened a lot of times in my life where I'm just, man, I'm just having, I need a word, I need, my point being that this word isn't just a rational academic exercise. He actually says to continue on in this, but to do it not just rationally, but personally. And it's one of the reasons why I don't, if you're doing one year Bible program, congratulations, it's July. You've made it this far. I never made it past February. And again, I'm not knocking you if you are, congratulations. But if that's the only way you're reading the scripture, I think you're missing an important point because that's a rational way. The personal way is, wow, that verse is really saying something to me right now. I need to camp on that and pray and see what the Spirit is telling me. Have you had that happen? Where you've opened the Bible and that word just jumped out at you and now I'm different now. It's, it's saying something to me and it means something to me different than I was before. It's a personal thing. And he uh, goes on to say not just personal. This is Tim Keller. He would use the word volitional, which is a New York word for intentional. It's not just personal, not just rational. And it's almost like you can see the journey into the word here. Like him, with the song we sang this morning, he draws me deeper still. He draws me in. Because it goes from personal to this volitional where now I'm doing it intentionally. James says, do this continually. Continue on in this word. Is it a part of your discipline? To look into the mirror, is it a part of my discipline, your discipline, to be a part of our lives, to do this continually, day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, continually looking into the law, the perfect law of Christ, the normative, not as just a rational thing, but a personal thing, and we're doing it intentionally because ultimately what it does is it frees us, it liberates us. And we can't end there. I need to say one more thing. Because you might think, yeah, but Darren, I've looked at this, and it did not make me more free. It made me less free. (laughs) I have looked into this. I get the idea of being humbled by it. I get the idea of wanting to be molded by it. But liberated by it doesn't make any sense to me at all. And maybe it's because we define law differently here than in Western culture than they would have defined it in this culture. If you're a fish and you are in the water where you are created to be, you have all kinds of liberties and freedoms, right, in there. But the minute you say, you know what, I am tired of this restricting environment, I want to jump out of here onto the, onto the shore. Have you guys been in, is it Illinois where those fish come flying out of the water and slapping you in the face and jumping in the boats? Do you know what I'm talking about, those YouTube videos? Hope knows. Those fish are completely free when they're in the environment that comports to how they were created. But the moment they think this is a restriction to me and I don't want this anymore, I want to live however I want to live, the freedom that they wanted killed them. You and I have freedom looking for the way to find what, the way that you were designed and created to live in that environment, that ecosystem. And when we seek that to figure out what he's, how he's created you to be. If you bought a new car or even a used car, you've probably seen the owner's manual. 
How many of you got, uh, how many kids have got an Xbox or a PlayStation? Okay. <laughs> kids. When you read the owner's manual, it might not say, hey, look, don't, don't use the disc thing as a cup holder, even though it would work as a cup holder. You know what I'm saying? When the disc comes out, you put, the, you put a cup in it instead of a... It works as a cup holder, but that's not the way it's designed. And your freedom to say, well, I'm, just, I'm not going to buy into that, that restriction of, of I can't use that as a cup holder will ruin your PlayStation. There are ways that you and I were designed that when we go outside of that, the, de- uh, the designer is the definer. So if he designed you, he's defining how it works. And so when you live in that manner, you are free to be exactly who God created you and, and, and made you to be. And you might be saying, still, Darren, yeah, but I, I'm re- I've, I read the Bible this morning. It didn't do anything for me. I, I read it and it made me feel more guilty, not less. You're not alone in that. That's what Martin Luther said. It happened to him. I was reading this and all it made me feel was more guilt and more shame. That's what Paul said in Romans 7. Why do I do the things I don't want to do? I didn't even know what coveting was until this book told me, and now I'm screwed because I'm coveting. <laughs> if you wouldn't have brought it up, that's the Eugene Peterson, Romans 7. <laughs> but then Romans 8 comes. Romans 8, verse 1. He ends chapter 7 saying, oh, wretched man that I am. Who is going to save me from this body of sin? Who is going to... You know what Paul is doing? He was looking in the wrong mirror. He was looking in the guilt and shame mirror, the one that Satan wants to remind you, the mirror of your past, the mirror of your your stuff. Because if you're looking in this mirror, after Jesus' resurrection, he encountered two men who were walking with him on the road to Emmaus, and he was pointing out, he's basically saying, you're reading it wrong. Every page of this, I'm on every page, it speaks of me. Every clothing requirement, every sacrificial law, every, it all speaks to me. Jesus is on every page. There's a scarlet thread that goes from Genesis to Revelation. I'm in every page. The man in the mirror that Michael Jackson was singing about was himself. But I'm telling you, if you start with the man in the mirror... You can change your world. Because Jesus, when he pointed out to the road to Emmaus, it says that their eyes were open. It says that our hearts burned inside of us in a way that I've never burned before. And it was the word of God becoming personal to them and molding them and humbling them and becoming alive and active because what they were looking at in the mirror was not themselves and the guilt and the shame, but looking at it and seeing that there was only one man that ever did the perfect law perfectly, and it was Jesus he satisfied the law by not sinning and by living. There's a couple ways to you know, satisfy the law. One is to not break it. The other is to be punished. Jesus did both. He satisfied the law by not breaking it. And then he died and satisfied it again so that you could be blessed. And so this week, maybe blow the dust off your Bible. Maybe try to remember your password to your Bible.com app. (laughs) Maybe it's been a while. For others of us, you may be reading it religiously. And I don't mean that as a compliment. 
You've been reading it as this religious thing, as this book of do's and don'ts. And maybe for all of us this week, we, we take that lens off of our Western culture, of our own ideas and our own things, and put on the lens of the Holy Spirit and say to you, to our Father, what do you want to say to me this week? How can I allow my life to be shaped and molded by the water of the word? Maybe it's just one verse and you're just hanging on to it with all you got. Instead of getting wound up, and, and I'm talking to me right now, so you can, you can check out and come back, but I'm going to preach to me for a minute. Instead of getting wound up by what's going on in our political circus right now, go to the Word and look in the mirror and remember who I am. Remember who He is. See that there is a man in the mirror who has kept it perfectly, who has forgiven us. There's not an ounce of blood that was, that was wasted. He is perfectly forgiven us. We are perfectly righteous and acceptable in his sight. Remember, because I'm going to tell you, I'm going to walk by that mirror again, and I'm going to think this about me, and I'm going to think that, but I've got to keep coming back and remembering that I am a new creation in Christ. Behold, all things are passed away. All things are become new. And I'm going to forget that this afternoon and to go back to this mirror again and remind me that I'm who he says I am, not who the world says I am. Stand with me and let's pray. If you've never experienced the Bible like that before, I'm borderline giddy for you. I know what it's done for me. I know that if I treat this like an academic exercise, that it's empty, but if I remember that this is a Holy Spirit communicated book, that there is life and truth and that it is normative for me and for you, that it comes exactly what it says it would be, alive and active, dividing between the soul and the spirit. I pray that that happens in all of our lives this week. Father, would you give us insight and wisdom on how to encounter your, you through your word this week. I pray that it becomes alive inside of us. that the supernatural power that you've encoded into it goes with us and that I no longer look into the mirror of political stuff. I no longer look into the mirror of shame and of guilt in my past, but I'm only looking into the mirror and seeing who you are in there and I'm gonna start with you, the man in the mirror. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.